Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When the grace of God is presented to people, especially the forgiveness of sins, the fact that he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore, there are many objections that come up when it comes to forgiveness. Probably the biggest objection that I have heard, the most common objection that I have heard, is definitely the concern that people have that others will be able to use forgiveness as an excuse to sin. In other words, if God does not hold our sins against us anymore, then what's going to stop us from sinning? Why don't we just go out and continue to sin? If he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore, there's nothing to keep us from sinning because there is no punishment that God is going to execute against us. Now, I did cover the subject in the series that I produced on the subject of forgiveness, and so I'm not going to try to duplicate that entire subject right now. I only want to bring this up because this is the context of Romans chapter 3 in verse 8 and 9 where it says, And why not say, as we are slanderously reported and as some claim that we say, Let us do evil that good may come, their condemnation is just. It comes up in this passage because if we can go ahead and sin and not be afraid of any punishment, then what will keep us from sinning? And also, if we do sin, then there is an opportunity for God's forgiveness to be revealed even more. There is additional opportunity for his forgiveness and mercy, for his love to be manifested, and so why don't we just go ahead and do it more and more? People were talking about this back then, they're talking about it today, and they will always talk about it, because for natural man, this is the appropriate conclusion to come to. For an individual who does not really want to know the Lord, this is the right conclusion to come to. That his forgiveness is an excuse to sin. That his mercy is an excuse to increase the amount of sin in our lives and that we can use it in order to give him more opportunities to show his righteousness. Stuff like that. I was talking about this in the previous program, and so I don't want to duplicate the same content here. Instead, here what I would like to do is proceed and say that if an individual will receive the complete forgiveness of sins, if they will receive the mercy of God, then they can enter into the new covenant. Now, when an individual enters into the new covenant, what this means is that they are going to begin to know their God. They're going to actually rest and trust in who he is as a real individual. And forgiveness makes this possible because there is no way that we can actually draw near to him when we are afraid that he is going to punish us. But when the punishment is removed because of the punishment that the Lord Jesus experienced on the cross, when that punishment issue is totally resolved, then we can actually draw near to him for who he is. Now, when we do that, when we walk through that door and enter into the new life that we now have before us, then we can be loved by our God, we can be accepted by our God, and his love and his acceptance will have an effect 
in our hearts. It will have an effect in our lives in such a way that people will begin to say no to sin because of the fulfillment that he is able to accomplish in the depths of our being. When that takes place, if we were to compare ourselves with the world, there would be the appearance of a reduction of sin in our lives. And in a way, that certainly is true, that we would begin to say no to sin, whereas beforehand we definitely would not have said no to sin. Now, this doesn't mean that this is the objective. This means that this is a side effect. What I'm saying is that this is nothing more than a side effect of the relationship that we have with our God, a relationship based on acceptance and love and forgiveness, that that is what makes it possible for us to have a relationship with him, whereas he can reveal himself to us and we can be transformed by his indwelling presence. I've done a lot of programs on that subject, and so I'm going to proceed from here and talk about the fact that when people experience a change in their lives, when they experience a change in their hearts, well, then we could perhaps boast in that. We can say that we are better than someone else because we say no to sin on occasion, whereas others do not. But that is definitely a total denial of reality because regardless of how much sin we have or someone else has in their life, regardless of the quantity, regardless of the volume, regardless of whether we overcome some or we do not, it doesn't matter Because it only takes one sin for an individual to be guilty, for one thing. And the other thing is, is that we are never going to be justified for the absence of sin. We are only going to be justified for the presence of our God. That is the only righteousness that exists, his presence and our trust and belief in what he has revealed. That is all. But I want you to understand that from the world's point of view, people will continue to make comparisons. They will make comparisons between the unbelievers and the believers and say that maybe the believers are better, but no, they are not. Or maybe the unbelievers are better, but no, they are not. People are always making comparisons because of their own systems of law that they live by, because that is the way the world functions. It functions on the basis of good and evil and the comparisons that people make with each other on the basis of what is good and evil, not on the basis of what is true, of what is right, of what our God has revealed, of what he has accomplished. Those are two completely different things. But from a worldly perspective, the comparison routine is definitely to be expected. And that's why I believe Paul wrote in verse 9, this is Romans chapter 3, verse 9, he said, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. This is a response to verse 8, that people experience a changed life, a changed heart, when they enter into the new covenant, and their lives may be a reflection of that through the reduction of sin. But it still does not mean that a believer is any better than an unbeliever when we talk about the subject of obedience, of righteousness, of repentance. These things have never had any meaning. They don't have any meaning now. They only had meaning for the purpose of leading a person to the point of realizing that they had a need for forgiveness and mercy. That was it. To use it for any other purpose is to misuse the law. It is to misunderstand and misuse the forgiveness that we have received for the sins that we have committed. Continuing into verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mountain is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the condition of humanity, and just because an individual gets saved does not mean that they don't qualify here anymore. If an individual wants to be evaluated on the basis of their repentance and obedience, they would still fit into this category. Because the purpose of God is not to get people's flesh under control. And so if a believer's flesh is not under control, don't be surprised. His purpose is to reveal himself to us. It is so that we can see who he is, so that we can know who he is. That is his purpose. Yes, he does a work in our hearts. Yes, he does a work in our lives. But the fact that a person will continue to sin up until the day that they die should be an indicator to you to show you that this is not his goal. This is not his priority. And we have to understand that because if you want to make comparisons, everyone still fits in the same category of needing his mercy. Everyone does. And while we may have some reverence of God that is often described as fear of God, we don't have total reverence. While we may not always pursue destruction and misery, sometimes we pursue destruction and misery just because we struggle with the issues of sin. We still do. In verse 19, this is Romans chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now there are several things that I want to point out here in verses 19 and 20. The first thing that I want to point out in the overall context of Romans chapter 3 is that regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what law you use even, the law will always have the same effect. Any system of right and wrong, any attempt to live on the basis of knowing what is good and what is evil by doing that which is good and not doing that which is evil will always lead to failure. It will always lead to sin. And the reason why is because we were not created by our God to function this way. This was the lie of the devil that caused the fall of humanity. He told Adam and Eve, if you only know what is good and evil, you can do what's good, you don't have to do what's evil, and you can be like God. That was the original sermon of the devil, the original ministry of the devil, the original gospel of the devil, and that's the same gospel that has been perpetuated ever since. It worked back then. You think he just put it up on a shelf and said, wow, that really worked well. I think I'll just remember that one and stop by every once in a while and remember how awesome that was. No, he takes that down often and he uses that. The Lord is using the knowledge of good and evil for his own benefit, not for the purpose of giving us guidance in terms of how we are to live, but in order to show us our need for him. 
That is why he gave the law through Moses. That is why he gave his contribution to mankind's great effort to try to do what the devil said. He, the living God, has contributed to the devil's gospel. He has provided laws in addition to the ones that we can make up in our own imaginations or that the devil can give us himself. He has provided his contribution towards this effort because in the end, in the end, he will show that you cannot function on that basis, that you will not survive if your survival depends on it. There is no way that this is going to happen. Instead, it will make things worse. It will make things worse in your life because it stirs up sin. How does the law stir up sin? You must remember it stirs up sin in several different ways. First of all, the natural rebellion of humanity, where we will often rebel against anyone giving us a commandment, saying, I don't think I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That is the natural rebellion of humanity that often stirs up a desire to sin when the law is presented to it. Not everyone responds that way all the time, but some people do some of the time, and that's what makes it real. Other people will be encouraged to sin because it gives them more things to think about not doing. Now, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And then the next thing you know, you discover that you have a desire to do that. It stirs up within you a desire for sin. Paul gives the example of this later on when he talks about the subject of coveting, that it stirred up within him every covetous desire. There are many other ways that it stirs up sin. For example, what happens when you feel that you have found a way to live in obedience to it? When you feel that you have found a way to live in obedience to the law, you of course haven't. The only reason why you believe that is because you've deceived yourself into thinking that you have. Now you live in a lie. Now you live in a denial of reality. And now you function on the basis of your own pride because of what you have accomplished, which is another form of sin. The sin of religious pride is very difficult for an individual to see within themselves, but it's very easy for others to spot it in other people. The law stirs up sin. It brings more sin into your life. It does not reduce the amount of sin. It increases it. What happens when you try to live in obedience to the law and you fail? When you fail, not if you fail, but when you fail, you are going to be separated from your God in your own mind. You're going to be separated from him because you believe that he is disgusted with you, and rightly so. Rightly so. But if you believe that he is disgusted with you, then how are you going to turn to him for his love and acceptance? You're not. You're never going to be able to receive from him what you truly need. And so your alternative will be to go back into the world and indulge your flesh as a temporary reprieve to deal with the deep-rooted needs for love and acceptance in your heart. This will stir up more sin. And so the law does this in so many ways. It does this in so many ways that it is difficult for an individual to identify all the dynamics associated with these issues. The only thing that a person can eventually recognize is that they definitely have not been living in an acknowledgement of the relationship that their God has called them to. Instead, they have gone off on their own and are trying to do it on their own, and they're trying to live a life that they know that they cannot live. Again, in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Now who is under the law? Who? Who is under the law? Believers? No, keep reading. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. 
Who's the world? Those are the people who are not in the kingdom of heaven, who are not born again by the Spirit, who are not children of God, who have no inheritance in Christ Jesus. The law is for them. It was for me before I got saved. And once I was born again by the Spirit of God, it was no longer for me. I continued to try to find a way to put it into my life, but it could never fit. It would never work. It had no place there. And it took me a while to confess that. It took me a while to admit it, because in my own pride, I really wanted to be obedient. And it was difficult for me to recognize that there was no way that I could do it, that I was going to be a total failure, and that there is no alternative. Unless, of course, you want to reduce the seriousness of sin, or you want to reduce the demands of the law. That's how a lot of people deal with it. They just ignore many of the true demands of the law, and by ignoring it or pretending that some of them or their requirements do not exist, that's how people cope with that. That's what people do in order to try to get past that. But I want you to see in verse 19 that the Apostle Paul says that the law is for the world for the purpose of showing people that they are accountable to God and that he will, of course, pass judgment, and they, of course, will be judged, and they will be candidates for his wrath because they were not successful in being who God created them to be through their own effort, that there was no way that they could do that. In verse 20, it says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Now, think about that for just a moment. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now, ask this question. This question has to be asked. Then why live in obedience to the law? Why? Why would anyone try to be right? Why would anyone try to overcome sin? Why? What is their purpose? What do they really hope to gain by not sinning anymore? Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that there certainly would be many definitive advantages to not sinning. Don't get me wrong. I'm asking the question in order to make the point that the reason why people want to get the sin out of their lives is not the same reason as to why our God forgave us. That those reasons are totally different, and that's why there is a struggle between the truth and the law. That's why there's a struggle between law and grace, because what people hope to gain is not the same thing as what God is offering. Let me give you an example. When I have asked the question of people, what do you hope to gain by living in obedience to God's commandments? These are the kinds of answers I get. Well, I'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. How are you going to be blessed? I'm going to have more flour in my kneading bowl. I'm going to lend and not borrow. They'll give me a whole list of blessings, and all of these blessings have to do with the blessings of the flesh. Or maybe some blessings in heaven, something like, well, I'm going to be rewarded. Oh, you are, are you? You're going to be rewarded in heaven for your obedience because you repented and you have not sinned. You are going to be rewarded. And what are these rewards going to look like? Well, who knows what they're going to look like, but I'll tell you what. As soon as I get to heaven, make sure you look me up and find me and invite me over to your place so that you can show me all of your rewards that you have earned because of your repentance and obedience. I want you to really show them off. I mean, really and sincerely, show me. Show me how impressive you really are. I want you to sense the pride that is found within a statement like that, that it's really a prideful attitude that people are struggling with when it comes to these kinds of things. 
Why do you want to be obedient? Because God will owe me, because he'll bless me, because he'll do things for me, because he'll answer my prayers, stuff like that. But that is totally disconnected from what he wants. He is not here for those purposes. He certainly does intervene in people's lives and do things like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that his main purpose, his true purpose, is to reveal himself in a way that we can understand. His true purpose is to establish a relationship with us. And that's not what people are thinking. That really isn't what people are thinking about. They're not thinking that they'll be obedient enough that they will be his friend. No, they don't really care about that. Or at least the people who I have found have not really considered that to be their highest priority in life. But that is what our God is doing, and I want you to know that there is a disconnect. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified, and so why do you continue to try to do the works of the law? Because according to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, no one is going to be justified in his sight through that. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's it. If you want to get anything from the law, you will only be able to get one thing, and that is the knowledge of sin. And so if an individual decides to pursue this, pay attention to this, please. If an individual is successful. Let's make the assumption that an individual succeeds in doing all that is good and never doing anything that is evil. If you can find an individual who never, ever sinned in their life, and they never do ever sin in their life, the end result of that between them and their God is one thing, and that is that they know sin. That's what they know. They know what sin is. They know what it's about. They know that it's evil, they know they don't do it, but you have a knowledge of sin. Do you have a knowledge of God? No, you have no knowledge of God. And so if you mastered the commandments of God, you would still have no knowledge of God at all. Now, you may know something about his character, you may know something about how he sees Things in terms of sin and righteousness and evil. Yes, you can understand some of those things, but there's a difference between knowing about these things and knowing your God and his heart. Those are two different things. And I want you to understand that you will have no knowledge of God, but you will definitely have a knowledge of sin. Now, in the world, you may be able to impress a lot of people because of your knowledge of sin and because of your ability to overcome it. But you are not going to impress me, and you're not going to impress your God, because that has nothing to do with him. That has everything to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It has everything to do with the gospel of the devil, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the tree of life, or the living God, who is actively participating in our lives, and who is revealing his very heart to the people who have embraced his forgiveness, not their obedience. He has offered to us his spirit to dwell within us so that we can search the depths of his heart, but that has no meaning to an individual who prefers to have a knowledge of sin in order to avoid it rather than knowing the depths of the heart of God how he sees the world that he is a part of, how he hears what people say, 
how he participates in the lives of individuals in order to reveal himself, how he transforms an individual, not through the knowledge of sin, but through his very presence. You'll have no concept of that if you pursue a life under the law. In verse 21, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Yes, the law and the prophets testify of it, witness to it, speak of it. But if you want to get to it, if you want to embrace it, you need to go beyond the law and the prophets. It's one thing to know the testimony of the law, to know the testimony of the prophets, to know the hope that would one day be realized. There is a difference between that and embracing the God who has now been revealed, who was at one time only hoped for, but now can be realized, now can be known. There is a difference between the two, and this is something that is apart from the law, which means it is not with the law or a part of the law. It is something that is totally different, something that is totally separate, something that is completely unrelated to the law, related only in one sense, and that is that the law will lead us to this point. It will lead us to this door. Forgiveness opens the door. You must walk through that, leaving the law behind, leaving the law beyond the door that you walked through and enter into the new covenant and the new life that we now have before us, which is on the basis of what he has accomplished, his obedience, his righteousness, and the revelation of his heart and who he is, and experience his love and acceptance for you, fulfilling the deepest needs of your heart so that you may be transformed as he does a work within you. That is his purpose. But if you do not use the law for the purpose that he gave it for, then it will take you away from this opportunity to enter into the new covenant that he has established. So do not use the law for purposes that he never gave the law for. Otherwise, it will lead you away from him. He intended that to be the case so that it cannot be used for a purpose that he never intended. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.